You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. Today, we have another guest with us, Kat. Do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Katherine Reynolds, and I am the Program Marketing Manager here at Mental Health America. I identify as bipolar and disabled, and I'm really excited to be on the show today. Thanks, Kat. Today's topic is being an extrovert and having bipolar disorder. If you were chiming in last week, we talked to Kevin about being introverts, and both America and I identify as introverts. So, this will be fun to to get a different perspective. And this show is totally all you. So America is here with us too. America, do you want to? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Hi, everybody. I just love being able to hear from somebody else. And having had conversations with Kat, I totally believe she's an, an extrovert. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on what that feels like, because it's a little different than mine and Teresa's perspective. So tell us, um, I think at the beginning, Kat, what you think identifies you as an extrovert? So it's kind of funny because, you know, I can remember being a kid and I was that person at the sleepovers who was like talking while everyone else was asleep. And I was always that person who, you know, I, I went to summer camps growing up and I was the like, person who just fed off the counselor's energy. Like I grew up going to church and I really always kind of responded to other people's energy around me. And I think it's really interesting because when it comes to bipolar, like before there was bipolar, there was just cat. And before I knew I had all these symptoms of bipolar disorder, they were just parts of me. So being really chatty, um, you know, wearing fun clothes, like being outgoing and always wanting to meet new people and stuff like that. Those are just kind of things that uh, I've, I've always been a part of me. And I, I'm also from the South, you know, and so being really nice and open to people is kind of a part of the culture down here. So I just never thought it was weird to, you know, strike up a conversation with a stranger or, you know, someone you're standing in line to or anything like that. As compared to the Northeast <laughs> Yes. Where we're like, don't talk to me. <laughs> exactly. It's like where I'm from, it's like, it seems like uh, inappropriate or rude to not strike up a conversation with your cashier at the supermarket, you know? Okay. I got that. I like your, the way that you introduced it in that there were things prior to aspects of your personality that were there regardless of a diagnosis of bipolar. So when you speak about that and you're like outgoing and do you feel excited by the notion of like talking to people? You don't have any anxiety or anything there? <laughs> well, um, it kind of depends. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I get anxious when there's like the illusion of importance around a person, you know, I'm talking to a certain person or, um, you know, hopping onto an interview or doing a podcast. So I think that's a, cer a different circumstance from when, I just kind of naturally have this uh, curiosity about myself. And I guess I kind of strive to create, I guess, like meaningful relationships with, I mean, with a person, you know, who's like my Uber driver. Like I, I love talking to Uber and Lyft drivers and, and people like that. And I don't have any anxiety because to me, honestly, 
it's almost more of like an adrenaline to me. Like I feel the energy of, and the excitement of like hearing what somebody's about to say and feeling like I can relate to what they're saying and, and, you know, getting excited as I'm hearing another person talk. Like I don't have anxiety talking to like strangers really, unless it's kind of under the guise of uh, like something is important that's going on. I kind of feel like I naturally, like I naturally seek a high from experiences, I think. Um, And that's just kind of always been a part of me, I think, (laughs) maybe partially co-opted, you know, in that way from going to a yeah, Christian camp where, you know, the goal was to kind of have these like really emotional, intense experiences for a short period of time, you know. I'm trying to just imagine what that feels like. (laughs) Yeah, it's very different. That phrase you used where you're feeding off the adrenaline, you're feeding off the energy. One of the things we talked about, Kevin, was this size of groups and your experience. So when you talk about, for example, feeding off energy, whether it's a small a small group or a large group, do you think about your extroversion as also related to the kind of environment you're in, the kinds of people that you're talking to? Like, I want to hear about that now. Yeah, I do. And I have to say, like, I, nat- so like in a group, I kind of might naturally attract myself to other people who are like me. So if there's like a really large group, maybe there's like, you're in a big group of like 20 people where there might be three smaller groups. And there might be a person who is talking to all of those people. And I think in really large groups, like I don't necessarily like being the center of attention. I like the connections that come with having attention on me. I think, you know, like I like, like if I were to go into a party and someone, you know, I'm wearing an outfit and people notice my outfit and then everyone, you know, compliments me or something like that. Like I do enjoy that, but I'm not, you know, I would never, I'm not really necessarily like, you know, 20 people quieting down to listen to what I'm saying. I'm more kind of that person who's like moving through a crowd and honestly, like looking for people's energy who matches mine. One of the things that Kevin had mentioned was like in this group kind of setting, the larger the group, it's easier for him to kind of get hidden away in the shadows and the in the mix of this group where you're like, you're not hiding away. You're like, I'm just there. I'm part of the group. I'm completely open to having all these conversations. Like for me, I kind of sit in between those spaces and and people don't see you, but we see, you know, and we see you all the time where you you wear a lot of colorful clothing and definitively bring attention to yourself because that's how you express your 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 person and your energy. Whereas I'm like, I can wear grays and blacks for my entire life. I'd be fine with it. But I also like pops of color. But it's very interesting to see how you navigate those spaces and how even in your voice, you can hear like the the joy and excitement that you get in thinking about those spaces. Do you hear that, Teresa? Yeah, no, totally. You can hear how excited she's getting just by talking about it. Whereas I think that... (laughs) You know, if I was talking about that experience, I would, you would hear tentativeness mm-hmm. versus maybe if I talked about how excited I get when I'm about to sit down by myself. 
<laughs> and that's a really interesting space to be because it, you know, nobody ever talks about that as your way to tell if you're an extrovert or an introvert. It's just like how how does it feel to feel the adrenaline as you prepare to talk to other people versus go sit alone? Because hmm. when I talk about by being alone, how do you feel, Cat? You know that the party's over. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> a lot of times, and I think that. Yeah, but I will say, you know, as just a side note, like I, I was, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 17. And I think sometimes when you're given that label, you then assume that everything that you do <laughs> is related to that. And mm -hmm. I was once describing how I was, you know, drawing its connection between, you know, similar to when you go to summer camp, and it's the most fun you've ever had in your life. And then you go home and everything is, you know, you're done. And then you have to figure out how to get back to your life. And that's, you know, a lot of times what people talk about mania feels like it's a really big high and then there's a low. But I was speaking with a my old drama teacher and she immediately got it. She said, oh, yeah, when the show is over. And I it kind of rocked my world a little bit. And I said, oh, yeah, like these are emotions. You know, it's not it's not just, you know, people with bipolar disorder who feel depressed after the excitement is over. It's all these other kinds of people who also might be in a position to feed off of other people's energy. And to me, I do enjoy my time alone. I definitely do need peace because, and a lot, but a lot of it is for the sake of like processing. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like I can do, I can go like day after day, you know, like I, this is also probably where a lot of people differ. I love MHA's annual conference. It is my favorite three days out of the year or week out of the year because I enjoy being on and I enjoy having everyone enter this community. However, after that period of time, I'm so overstimulated, I need space and time to be by myself. And, you know, I'm not so sure that it's necessarily even being alone. But for me, it is I do need to have periods where I'm not exerting all my energy and where I'm able to just kind of let it, you know, let myself chill a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about differences between like, would you rather go do this or this? I will never choose probably being alone with a good book or something like that. I will always want to be, even if it's that, like, I'm like, okay, let's, let's you and me go read a book somewhere and like not talk. Like I would still, you know, <laughs> with other people. Yeah. Alone. I think you've introduced this concept of how to tell the difference between your extroverted self and when bipolar disorder has a rising manic experience I think you'd have you shared with us a lot of insight about how you wrestled with that. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So I think um, myself and maybe other extroverts included who might might have bipolar disorder, might think that they have bipolar disorder, can maybe some find sometimes find it difficult to just read you know information about the symptoms of bipolar disorder online, and especially when it comes to mania, because a vast majority of people really stress the, you know, aligns more with extroversion parts of mania. So people talk about, you know, rushed speech. And like, again, like I'm a person, like I get excited. I'm going to I'm going to have rushed speech. You know, it could have nothing to do with my mental health that day, but things like that, or, you know, wearing really bright clothing or spending money frivolously or making impulsive decisions. Like these are all just kind of things that I think are related to me being an extrovert, you know, like if a random person I meet at a party is like, Hey, do you want to go with me to this place tomorrow? I'm like riding the high of like, I just met this person. Yeah. Like that sounds great. And I'm, I, you know, I'm just more kind of of a risk taker and impulsive in those ways. So 
I think for me, on the, off the bat, it is harder to find resources and literature about bipolar and mania that I can relate to because of what I think most people really tend to, um, to categorize mania as. And, you know, before I go further, I'll mention, you know, a lot of mania for me is those negative things that nobody talks about. It's the irritability, it's the anger, it's the, um, yeah, like that rage that really is accompanied with those things. And I have kind of started to talk about mania for me. It isn't necessarily, you know, like about confidence or, you know, grandiose ideas. It's about an excess of energy. And that energy can be one way or the other. So it might be, oh, yeah, I feel like I can do anything in the world. But really, though, for me, it's like I have so much physical energy inside of me that comes out as anger, comes out as irritability. But for myself, I really had to say, okay, what does mania look like for me? Because I don't think that it's necessarily what other people are going to to be talking about. You know what I'm thinking when you describe your experience, Kat, is... um two thoughts. One, something that you mentioned earlier, how you being from the South and you kind of have this way about you is that one somewhat learned behavior. The other is in how you mentioned that there isn't enough information out there that helps individuals like yourself really navigate this space that isn't explored enough, right? Like, yeah, there's all of these like grandiose ideas, blah, blah, blah. And you can check the box so easily. But then when, if you don't have guidance to help you understand the, the flip side of that, then you can easily misinterpret your behavior and be like, oh, well, I'm I'm a freaking worst person in the world. You know what I mean? So I'd, I'd love to hear some examples of that. Yeah, I, I agree with really what you said, you know, it's hard to find. No one wants to talk about, honestly, violence. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to personally who have a lot of shame if, about the fact that they may have, you know, struck someone that they love, not not to harm them necessarily, but be, because you have all this energy. But no one, no one is talking about how that's, you know, I think that people like to paint a caricature of, of bipolar disorder and a caricature of mania, but no one really wants to talk about the the darker, dirtier side of what that looks like, because it's not, you know, it's not fun. <laughs> and so I think for me over the years, so one of some of the best advice that I've gotten, because as someone with bipolar disorder, you can really get caught up in saying, is this, I mean, not even, but is this me or is it my mental illness? You know, did I really want to do that? Oh, I, you know, I, after I started working at MHA, I booked a trip uh, to go to Europe. And it was like, well, am I, you know, excited because I got my first, you know, I'm a big, I got a big paycheck now, or is it mania, you know, and you can have yourself spending so much time being really nitpicky over your decisions and over your day to day and have in playing this game of like, well, I really wanted to do that. What does this mean? My first doctor who was a psychiatrist told me if something is causing you a really a lot of distress that's what you should be worried about. It's not about, was I manic? Was I depressed when I was doing this? Like, is whatever is in question causing you a lot of distress? Then it's something that you want to be concerned about. And does it cause you distress after you're done? Well, so I think, well, 
more so in, in when it's happening. I think a lot of people who are experiencing mania get, here's the, you know, it's kind of like you weigh it. It's like someone who's manic wants to stay manic maybe because they are, you know, crushing their work. You know, they're, they're doing, they're being really, really productive. But what that person doesn't realize is that there are going to be some consequences in their life around them. You know, there's an expense to being that productive or whatever. And so honestly, it wasn't until I got into my first romantic relationship where I had someone who I had allowed so close to me that I really started to even notice mania as it was happening because I didn't have like a foil around me to show me that I was actually incredibly irritable, you know, like that I was actually getting really distressed because other people were getting in my way and going against. I think part of mania is, well, I'm going to do this and nobody, and you're, and it's really, you're kind of like egocentric that whole time. And you're, you have Mm -hmm. over, you have a really heightened sense of belonging in the world and everything like that. And it's Mm -hmm. really easy to let those feelings get in the way of how you might be making other people around you feel. So you start to feel distressed because now you can recognize the distress associated with people getting in the way of your goals (laughs) that you're, and that's, that's what you identified. Yeah. yeah, That and like, um, for example, I kind of went through like a mixed dish episode in the beginning of the pandemic and I was working on this project and I was so, so, so excited to be working on this project. But if I hadn't had, you know, my partner asking me questions, making me mad, I would not have necessarily realized that there was an issue to begin with in that way. I have to ask you a question, Kat, because when you say that two things are really important, one, having somebody next to you that can serve in some way as a gauge, because you're taking somebody else's personhood into account, even though you may not, you know, they're getting on your nerves or whatever, you still have for, you know, it's like the, for every reaction there has to, for every action, there has to be a reaction. So it bounces back to you. You're like, oh, you're in my way. Oh, and, and then the other part of that is then these individuals also end up serving as gauges of where you are. That's what I hear from you, which is really cool. I mean, I can, reframe that for myself where I'm like, I'm fine, right? Like that's the thing. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Until I butt up against my fiance, who's like in my way of doing X thing. You're just like, ah, I'm not fine. I just want to knock you over, you know? Mm -hmm. And so channeling something you said earlier, when you talk about it's really hard because extroversion is a personality trait it it bleeds really easily into having bipolar disorder and it gets hard. I think you've also talked about the way that you can tell there's just a difference. And you mentioned something to us before about doing things you know you didn't want to do. Like, I totally want to hear more about that. I think a lot of yeah. people would relate and and that would help people get a lot of clarity. Yeah. So that this is a really, I think, especially when it comes to the conversation about extroversion and bipolar, you have to look beyond what you do in the day to day. So, and like what you would look at normally and kind of what I was getting at with the distress stuff. Like, so some, a way that I know that my mood is unstable is if little things are bringing me to literal, like to tears, like I'm crying because of stress 
And I'm just sitting there kind of with tears rolling down my face. And then I kind of like peter out. And then the next thing I'm kind of, I cry again. Whereas in a time of more stability, I know that those things would not have stressed me out that much. You know, it's sometimes hard to talk about high and low and bipolar disorder just because of the misconceptions about what that really means. But for me, it's like, yeah, if I notice that my mood is shifting a lot throughout the day and in a period of stability, I know that it wouldn't and I would have been able to handle that stress differently, then I kind of know that that's a little questionable. The things that you would not normally do, I think is really interesting and often sometimes just comes through your experience. So in my most recent outpatient visit, I realized something about an accident that I had had when I was manic in college, in which I did a little bit of daredeviling and I rappelled down a parking garage and I had like no qualms about it. So anyways, fast forward like six years, I'm in outpatient and my, my partner is taking me on a bike ride. And it was like a bike that I was not familiar with. And my fight or flight, like I couldn't get on the bike. I was like, oh, whoa, I'm actually really scared to do this. And I realized that, oh, that is a like my complete lack of inhibitions when I'd had this accident earlier in my life, like that was a sign of the mania. Yeah. I realized through like, oh, wait, actually, like I am kind of scared of heights. Like I am scared of like extreme sports kind of stuff. Like my natural, you know, and I, even then, like I wasn't in, you know, I was I was in a, a facility at the time. But even then I was just like, oh, interesting. So I'm not actually that much of a daredevil in the day to day. Right. So I looked back and I said, I normally would never have been that fearless doing something like that. Well, no, that's really funny because you said you were a risk taker. But as we get older and we more know more of ourselves, you start to identify your range of risk taking and how to use that as a gauge for well, not well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really a great example. I appreciate you sharing that. Another thing I would use Again, when you're an extrovert, it might not seem weird, yeah, to like reach out to someone or to, you know, talk too much to somebody. But for me personally, I've, and I will say, you know, I, the, I had an experience. Um, I think you have to be aware of, like, you really have to be aware of like some circumstances and the ways that you end up even kind of tipping into that territory. A couple years ago, I, I did some canvassing for an election. And that is a lot of no sleep, no food, and alcohol was around. And through those few days, by the end of it, I was kind of wound up because of the circumstances, the underlying circumstances, and me not being able to get kind of baseline needs met. And I found myself at the end of that experience with this really connected feeling to everybody around me. And I said, I remember I texted somebody something that I would have never done, but I felt in a way inflated sense of connection to them. And I remember someone saying like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, totally. And again, looking back on it, it's like, would I have reached out to that person? Like, no, I wouldn't have. To me, it's like when you feel like you are at the center of everything going on. And like I do as, a, as an individual, like I do have a sense of personal importance. I do have a sense that like my my life matters and that the people around me, like everything happens for a reason. But this is like 
over the top. You know, you're like, yeah, things that you that on paper, you're actually like, that aren't related to you at all. Yeah, it's like this text message is supposed to be like, this is going to change this person's life. Right. Even the challenges of knowing that you're confident or secure with when your brain is centering the universe around you as a sign that it's hard to uncouple with reality when when maybe you're at a more baseline state and you're like, no, I know that the whole universe is not centered around me, but it's very hard to tell. Yeah, exactly. Like I think when I'm manic, it's like a constant feeling, like a a palpable feeling in your body. Mm -hmm. But like when I'm not manic, my like feelings of connectivity, it's more of like a whole body. It's just like a, it's ingrained in me. It's more like on the back burner. It's like something mm-hmm. that I innately know, not something that I feel like I like actively need to act on all the time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Like an, it's kind of its own intrusive experience that makes it, it becomes all consuming mm-hmm. in that way as well. That's really interesting and helpful. I like that distinction around how you feel it in your body sometimes and and not to compare right but in my experience sometimes i get when i have to share like i just need to share whatever my thoughts are i can feel that like i can feel it in my fingertips i can feel it in my stomach that i have to get out whatever the feeling is and sometimes that exists because i may be experiencing anger or really hard feelings and that other times it's like, okay, it's there, but I don't have to do anything with it. I can just let it be and I don't have this urgency to get it out. Exactly. And I think urgency is a really, I think urgency is just a big concept in bipolar disorder because I think around mania, there's just an urgency to do everything. Like, mm-hmm. again, like when you're manic, all of a sudden, yeah, there is an urgency to do all these things, accomplish all my goals. And when I'm not, it's more of like this deep seated feeling like, oh, I know that I'm working on my goals right now. And every day I'm getting one step closer. But, you know, this room just reminded me there is something that I'd like to say about manic brains and <laughs> that I that I really believe is important. And I wish that I had kind of heard. I think a lot of people who experience mania tend to have a lot of shame about what they've done when they're manic. And I read an article or something and it was like about unfinished work in mania. And I was like, wow, I really relate to this. Like I have things that I did when I was manic that I feel too, I'm too scared to look at because in the post world, when I found out that I was actually manic, it really tainted my, my way of thinking about myself at the time, what I was doing. Like I didn't even want to see Cause I was really scared. You know, like I'm scared. I'm like, well, that person was probably a monster. Like what could, whatever could that been? And I think a lot of people also tend to feel like mania is their one way of, you know, like I have to be manic because if I'm, if I'm not, I'm not going to be creative and all those kinds of things. And this is my personal opinion. This is what I think. But I think that if I was able to do this when I'm manic, that means that it's within my capability. And it means that maybe under the right circumstances, again, like I said, like it's just normally that the circumstances around mania often have consequences that you're not aware of. But if I can seek to kind of the situations that also contributed to that, so, you know, maybe I was stress-free, albeit when you're manic, that stress-free is, 
you know, oftentimes unfounded, (laughs) but if I can, you know, seek where I'm under lower stress or I'm feeling more creative, like I can actually, I can still access those quote unquote superpowers or whatever. Right. Like you can tap into it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I would encourage anyone who is listening not to, you know, look down on themselves or feel just feel bad about themselves because they feel like they that you know maybe some of their skills are only accessible to them when they're manic and thus it's not actually a skill that they have i don't necessarily think that that's true i think you know if if you could do it then then maybe you could do it again it's just that mania provides all these really interesting circumstances for those things to happen i i appreciate that perspective cat and i i also like really hearing how there has to have been, and I think you continue to explore the dichotomy between your personality, who you are as an entire individual and bipolar being one factor in that and not the full person of cat. And within that, then understanding like these extroverted qualities about myself that I go out into the world and present in certain ways that I that I'm chatty that I'm outgoing that you also embrace those so vividly and I think in the long term that that does you good right because you're able to um really bring the two things together in a more natural state instead of being kind of divided which I think tends to be the case in many when when outwardly looking, it's like, oh, the two can't exist. One, it's one right. or the other. Yeah, exactly. I I kind of tell people, you know, it's like it's the same brain. You know, the same brain that was with you when you made that really horrible mistake is the same brain that was there when you succeeded. And you know, that same brain that I have when I'm manic is the same brain that I have when I'm I'm stable. You know. Thank you so much, Kat, for spending time with us today. No problem. Always a pleasure to be on with you two. Yay. Well, everyone, as always, keep on fighting in the open. And thank you for joining us. Bye. Until next time. Bye.